0: guys, what's up? This episode is about connections. I was connected to Amber through someone on IG. Shout out to that person on IG. Thank you so much. And because of that connection, I got another connection, which you will hear next week. But back to Amber. So I was surprised at how much Amber and I have in common in terms of our experiences and our goals. So the difference, though, is that Amber grew up in a small town, Fayetteville, North Carolina. And while I grew up in a metropolitan city, Washington, D.C., we both identified the changes in our surroundings. In our neighborhoods that we live in. And we both decided to do something about it. I created this podcast. She wrote an essay and then ultimately also created a podcast. We both are building a community online to discuss basically our feelings towards gentrification and how we are creating a platform for not only our voices to be heard, but for others as well. Amber is going to the neighborhood and having conversations with the people who live in the neighborhood. I don't know if I'm gonna do that. I My first reaction to when I said that to you was to say no. And I I need to unpack that not not right now, but I'll in the future I'll unpack that. In that conversation, a couple of things stood out. I realized how negative I've been towards architects and architecture. And that's probably because it's a product of my environment. Architects always love to to, to encourage others not to become an architect and why you want to be in this profession. And so over the years, that, that tends to nag at you. So I need to not be as negative. And I think the negativity also comes from pain, also comes from disappointment in how we as architects treat each other and how we are behaving in this profession because it's kind of like a self-hate thing, right? Also of that self-hate is that we don't speak up. We play a role in this and I think that we talk a little bit about that. It's an interesting discussion to say the least. And it's coming from a perspective of a non-architect. She's more of experiencing the space and seeing it in a point of view through, you know, her education, and her background, and her own knowledge, as we all do. But you know, I I see it differently, obviously, huh, from her. But but yeah, it. I am grateful for the conversation. I am grateful that she decided to talk to me about this information about. Her and her project is in the show notes, so please check it out. Also, the essay that started it all, I encourage you very much to read it. And uh, I think that's it. short and sweet. So, here you go. So, who are you?
1: <laughs> yeah, my name is Amber Delgado, and I am a writer, sometimes filmmaker, sometimes um <laughs> friend, daughter, <laughs> yeah, that's who I am, and I am currently based in North Carolina.
0: Okay. You're in Fayetteville, right? Yes. hmm A friend of mine, she's also from Fayetteville, she's an architect, Okay. okay. and she's K-Verdian.
1: Oh, okay, okay.
0: Are you K-Verdian? No. No. Okay. Yeah, I guess, a lot of similar features, so...
1: <laughs> I think I may know who you're talking about
0: does she teach she did at one point
1: okay huh that's interesting I her name that. is Devin oh okay oh never mind
0: no I don't think we I know we uh, it. <laughs> besides her I that's the only thing that connects me to Fayetteville so yeah. <laughs> so you grew up there born and raised Yes,
1: born and raised. So um, I don't know if you know much about it, but it's a military town. So Fort Bragg is here in Fayetteville. It's, I think, one of the largest military bases in the country. And that's, I would say, a bulk of the population is here related to the military in some way. And my dad is retired, but yeah, that's that's basically how I ended up here. Um, my parents. Uh, my dad is Peruvian, and my mom is from Alabama. So we've just been here since my sister was born. For, like, How did they meet? Out of curiosity. Yeah, that's what everybody asks. <laughs> they met. My my dad was stationed here, and my mom was here for nursing school. And she was working at the mall here and. I don't know. They just kind of ran into each other <laughs> there.
0: <laughs> and and that's just, all she wrote. Yeah. You mentioned a sister.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically I have a, an older sister and a younger brother. We were
0: all born here. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. You went to college? Yes. And your major was? I
1: double majored in film and art history. Oh, okay.
0: So you always was an artistic person?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I definitely really got into just art in general when I was in high school and my senior year I thought I wanted to go to school for photography but that didn't really work out so I kind of got more into filmmaking and then when I was a film major I had to take art history classes and I Mm -hmm. loved it so much so I decided to double major.
0: Did you leave north carolina at all or for college yeah no
1: i first i went to community college here in fayetteville and i got my associates and then i transferred to east carolina university which is in greenville north carolina okay finished my undergrad there Yeah.
0: what's like your fondest memories of fayetteville growing up oh wow um (laughs) as the birds chirp in the background
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is a very like serene space to do this uh, podcast. That's a great question. Uh, fondest memories. I was I just spent so much time with my grandparents. so they they lived here for a while, both on my mom's side and my dad's side. my grandma, my mom's mom and my dad's mom. just like going to their house houses and going to parks here. I would say those are the biggest ones and at least as a kid. And then once I, as a teenager, so Fayetteville is, it's growing now because of gentrification, which I'm sure we'll get into. (laughs) But when I was in like middle school and high school, it was, there was not much to do at all. Like there's, there's so much more here now than there was like 10, 15 years ago. So I was, I was really bored (laughs) when I was, (laughs) when I was in high school and middle school, there really was not much to do. Like my friends and I would like go to Target and Barnes and Noble as like activities. (laughs) (laughs) To hang out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very like, it, it did have that small town feel to it a lot.
0: You graduated from college Mm -hmm. and what happened?
1: Yeah, I graduated from college in 2018. And I applied to a job at the Center for Documentary Studies in Durham. And I got accepted for that position. So I moved to Durham in 2018 and lived there for two years. So total of three different cities I've lived in in North Carolina, (laughs) Fayetteville, Greenville,
0: and then Durham. (laughs) Yeah. So out of those three, Durham is the most like, populous out of the three, correct? Yeah. That's the city. That's... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Like, Durham, Raleigh, right? Yeah. Okay. All Mm -hmm. right. Trying to remember. I've been down there a couple of times. I'm in Maryland. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah. My memory... Don't fault me if my geography is a little off. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's usually referred to as Raleigh-Durham. Like, the airport. Like, Raleigh-Durham airport.
0: So, okay. Yeah. I had it backwards. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. <laughs> so it's pretty much you stayed within the area. And as you grow up, things tend to change. I know for me, um, born and raised in D.C., within the past even 10 years, it's becoming unrecognizable to what I remember it growing up to be. Do you share that same experience? And at what point did you notice the dramatic change?
1: Yeah, you know, it's so funny. So with all three of those cities that I've lived in, I feel like I've noticed it in each place that I was. And then Durham was like the pinnacle for me, like understanding it, because that's where it's like so visible more so than the other than the previous two places previous two cities yeah so i mean even when i i did i lived in greenville north carolina for undergrad for two years as well and even when i was there i just especially because greenville is so dependent upon the campus like as the city is so dependent upon the campus for just like income and tourism stuff like that uh, i was just so face-to-face with the changes uh, upon me moving there. And even within the two years that I was there, I saw that city changed a lot. And, and then moving to Durham, like I said, it just really <laughs> made sense to me. Like, oh, okay, this is not just uh, central to any one city, any one place. This is like a global... Thing that is happening everywhere yeah and to varying degrees in different places but yeah um definitely within the triangle area of north carolina it is unlike like to a different level than i've seen any place else
0: in the state besides the physical change mm-hmm. is the people change also yeah. so like growing up were you Especially in like high school, were you like how big was your school and in terms of the demographics, like how in terms of black people, white people? Yeah. So my high school was pretty
1: big. I think my graduating class was like 380 people. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I would say there's. I think it was predominantly white, but. There, it wasn't drastically predominantly white, if that makes sense. Yeah. And and then it, as in terms of watching Fayetteville change, I, I would say that those changes, like de- both demographically and physically within the city where I'm from, didn't really start happening until after I left. So like I was saying, I, I graduated high school in 2012. So I would say maybe around 2014 was when things started to change here. And Fayetteville is really interesting because back in the 90s, I don't know, a lot of people that are from North Carolina like know the stereotype of Fayetteville, but I don't know if people not from the state know, but it's basically like deemed as like very hood and like (laughs) dangerous, quote unquote dangerous. And I suppose like... I don't know but I just I don't like those stereotypes of like deeming a place as like inherently dangerous. Like when I would go other places and tell people I was from Fayetteville, they would be like, "Oh wow, like you're from Fayetteville." <laughs> you know, like as if that's like impressive or something, but it's really I don't know. It's a misconception, one, I believe, and I also think it's problematic to deem areas as like innately criminal. Like that that's just not a thing. And also The history to it is that like downtown Fayetteville used to have, I would say the 90s and earlier, like from like the 60s to the 90s, downtown Fayetteville was really trying to attract single soldiers. So there was like a lot of strip clubs down there and I don't know, just a lot of bars. And I guess that was the appeal. It was like single soldiers that are coming into town, like, you know, kind of show them a party. (laughs) And now I think the shift within the past couple of years has been towards like families of military members that are moving. Let's make this a more family-oriented, appealing town for families to want to stay here and settle down here. Um, So with that, when I have been back recently visiting home, I would say just like places I go sometimes even to certain stores i get looks as if i don't belong here from i would say like predominantly white upper class families that are moving into town and it's just so wild cuz it's like y'all don't get to look at me like i don't belong here when i was here when it was nothing <laughs> which is the feeling a, a lot of especially black people are having towards gentrification so that's that's my experience with it um here so you said something
0: I want to touch upon real quickly you you gave a brief history of Fayetteville and what it once was considered like you said hood was it because of the demographics it was more because it was you had like you said single soldiers prostitution or like is that because yes. yeah. it seems like it's, it's more like a class thing than a race thing yeah right well I would say both probably
1: like I, I I would say that its reputation was created out of both a class and race racial assumption because there aside from military families that live here there is a large black population here so I think that's a layer to it as well both class and race I don't know this firsthand because I was, I'm 25 years old and I was born in 94, but I I met somebody who is older than me who used to live in this area. And and he said that there was a lot of like gang activity in the 90s here and specifically in like North Fayetteville. So I think, yeah, that's, I think it's layered, you know, as Mm -hmm. to how it's,
0: it's reputation. So, moving a little bit forward when you were in college and you went back home to visit, you mentioned that was the first indication that you saw that change was happening yeah. so so, what were the the things that you were seeing?
1: Oh, it was so fast, it's so wild to me like i mean on on a specific road that I drive by often there was like a trailer park there and that trailer park got torn down and like built into this whole new shopping center. It is huge. There is like home goods there. There's a DSW shoes there. There's like new restaurants, all like a whole new shopping center where this trailer park used to be. And that got built within such a short amount of time. And I would come home pretty often because it was only a two hour drive and I'm really close to my family. So it was it was literally like I would come home one month, see something being torn down and then the next time I would come back again, it would be finished. So a lot of retail was built within those past couple of years. And yeah, on, on top of previous property that was there, I think it was like a common thing here and and also the downtown area was heavily built up, um, which again is something, and I feel like this is also just a common refrain from for gentrified, gentrifying places across the country. But I mean, so many people that are from here would say like, oh, it used to be scary to go downtown and now it's not. So this is a good thing and it's like, why was it scary to you? You know, like, let's unpack that. So
0: um, yeah. oh, I'm coming from two perspectives. One who is experiencing gentrification of where she used to grow up. And the other side is I designed that softman center, you know, like I designed the new buildings that you see downtown. And it's kind of like on that side, you're creating something new and Mm -hmm. you're providing the economy. Certain places, like, oh, they're building this. You get excited. Oh, this is great. A DSW, wow. Mm -hmm. I don't have to drive two hours to get a DSW. I could just, Target's right there, you know? So people in town, people who live in neighborhood, don't have to travel as far. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: What we get into trouble is multifamily homes, is the homes, people who are staying there, I guess. That's, That's my indication, because I remember there are certain streets that were two-story storefronts. It was a, you know, tool store, and that gets torn down, and now it's uh, Target. It's an urban Walmart. At first, you get excited because you don't have to travel as far, but now it's like, wait, what happened to those people who own those shops? Yeah, yeah. So- were you excited in the beginning? You came home and you were like, "DSW, yes." <laughs> yeah, my mom definitely was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we did, we did have to go to Raleigh and stuff to go like shopping, shopping, and and I just, I don't know necessarily if I was excited because it is. I hear you. It is a benefit for people that enjoy those things but a part of me this is something I'm interested in exploring more I'm just really thinking deeply about letting small towns be small and like I don't know like the integrity or like the feel of a place because I think what I felt once I came home from college and saw those changes was this isn't Gonna like this is the city is trying to be a next Raleigh Durham, which mm. I understand. Like that's capitalism. I'm not, I'm not surprised by that of growth and economic, you know, appeal. I'm not surprised by that. But I guess, and it is uh similarly. It is a good thing that people that are you know teenagers and stuff have places to go, like places to work to get a job and stuff like that. When I was in high school, there was hardly any place for me to work. I was actually working under the table for this catering company when I was 15 because there weren't many places to get a job here. So, I mean, I think about that too. There, There's pros and cons, but I, I think generally I was like, hmm, I know that this isn't going to feel the same way once I started seeing all these new things every time I was coming home.
0: It's kind of tricky too because when you get to, into those huge developments, they're usually a corporation that has other malls.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So they have a certain aesthetic. Yeah. And especially when they tear down and some a place like Fayetteville, where there isn't any, I wouldn't say there's, there's no rules, but I'm assuming that that shopping center looks like any other shopping center that you've been to absolutely (laughs) so there's no Fayetteville character to it
1: yeah that's so true that's a great point yeah that's absolutely right
0: um um, it's kind of like you get lost because you know target no matter where you go target will target has a brand so you will see that bullseye no matter where you go
1: yeah
0: uh you see the red and you see the bullseye and Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing with Walmart. It's a huge warehouse, basically. So at what point did it start getting ridiculous? You're like, wait a minute. What sparked you to say, okay, something has to be done. What's going on?
1: (laughs) That's a good question. So I don't think I felt that way until I like I said, was in Durham, where it just, like, really hit home for me. Even though I'm not from there, I just, I guess it just clicked what was happening because it's on such a greater scale there as opposed to Fayetteville. I didn't, I would say maybe I still haven't felt that yet in Fayetteville, thankfully. The changes have surprised me for sure, but I don't think it's been as rapid as a lot of other places, which I'm thankful for, but I'm also getting ready to move again. So (laughs) who knows by the next time I come back, (laughs) I might be singing a different tune. But yeah, so definitely in Durham. I mean, I lived there for two years, like I said, and within those two years, I mean, on my daily commute to my job, which was a short 10 minute drive, I just really saw. (laughs) I remember there was a specific time last summer where it actually took me like 30 minutes to get to work on my 10 minute commute because there were like construction detours on every single regular road that I take. (laughs) So it's just it's so 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 fast there. And I had a friend visit me there in February of this year and that was her first time ever going to Durham. And she was like, yeah, this city feels strange. Like it, it just, the vibe of it just feels odd because it's so, you can just feel how in transition it is. Mm -hmm. And she's, that was her first time going there. (laughs) And she was, it just, I've never, she said, I've never been a place like this before.
0: So it's kind of like confused. It doesn't have an identity you think or? Yes. Yeah.
1: I think that it's trying to hold on to an identity, but it's so fleeting, unfortunately. And it's because of how rapid it is. Like I said, I mean, I observed like apartment complexes and houses being built within like
0: three months. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So curated tolerance, how did that happen?
1: Yeah, it it started out of exactly what I'm just describing in Durham. So when I say that I feel like it's trying to hold on to an identity, that's at its core what I feel curated tolerance is about. I just there was a point where I realized there's an appeal within gentrification to let certain things remain certain aesthetics of pre-existing landscapes remain and this valuing process that picks and chooses what it wants and what it doesn't so that was really just of interest to me and i wanted to explore it more of of this this valuing process of what gets to remain and what goes and and really how almost people of color and our spaces get used as props for diversifying a new environment because there's an appeal in in a little bit of diversity. I really like liken it to almost like fixing a plate of food. Like I want certain things to stay because they're attractive to me and then all the rest of this can go. <laughs> So that's my mind just started thinking about that. And that led me to further exploring this
0: and the essay that I wrote. So let's talk about that essay. It wasn't like an assignment or anything. It was just an expression that, that you was just trying to get out. And that essay kind of led you on to a, a path of not only written, but spoken and visual. A spoken, you started a podcast interviewing people around I must say neighborhood. What have you learned from talking to others?
1: Yeah. So I wanna I wanna also kind of speak on I like that you brought up that it wasn't an assignment. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, it was just it was really important for me to write this and and kind of really sit with these changes that I was experiencing and I'm happy that I did that and and that process really helped me further contextualize my experience of living in Durham and also I didn't want to just write something and like walk away which is why I wanted to start kind of a, a project around Curated Tolerance so that led to the Instagram account and this podcast that is really loose. I mean, both the Instagram account and the podcast are just really me trying this out, like trying to build an online community for discussing feelings around gentrification and firsthand experiences around gentrification because a lot of people in this country and across the world are. And what I've learned through the podcast, it's really conversational style. I usually don't really set up a lot of questions with people. I just want to talk about this topic because there's so much there. And and what I've learned is people just want to be heard, you know? Like that's a lot of times anything about anything related to gentrification is reduced down to numbers and percentages and Spaces aren't given to these lives that are like genuinely being impacted. People have stories about places that they grew up. People want to talk about how they feel and nobody's really asking them how they feel. It's just like, Oh, that's too bad. (laughs) And um, yeah, so that's, that's the motivation behind the podcast is just, and the Instagram account as well, just giving people space to express and, and sometimes I feel even with the, spaces that are available to express there's a lot of barriers and like reliance on giving priority to people who have expertise and that's something that i definitely wanted to eliminate with this platform that i made it's just i don't i don't care who you are what you do if you have a story and you want to talk about it we can talk about it because
0: yeah a lot of people aren't listening (laughs) So I'm going to pick your brain a little bit. Mm -hmm. What drew me to you was your perspective. I was talking to someone about this and how I'm feeling conflicted about architecture. Mm -hmm. And it kind of like, is architecture a participant of gentrification? And a lot of people, I posted this question on IG and a lot of people like, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It is. And when I talked to my fellow architects, they're like, wow, well, it's kind of complicated. You had a parking lot there and here's an opportunity to turn it into something else. Yes, we are changing the landscape, but it's, new and it should be exciting and so when I say those things like what comes to mind part of it is like it's positive right so I'm curious when I say these things how do you feel about that like
1: yeah I feel like three different ways (laughs) so the first one is kind of related back to what I said earlier of I don't, I don't know how to word this yet, but it's something that's so much on my mind of letting places be nothing. (laughs) I, I, I'm interested in that. And one example that I'm actually going to photograph soon and post on the curated tolerance account. So there's this, this, I don't even know what to call it. It's like a a patch of cement. that is on like this dirt field by a train track in Fayetteville and some friends that I have that skateboard have like built that into like a makeshift skate park basically. So that space is still being used without it without having to build something on top of it. I guess. Because I grew up in a small town, I'm just interested in like, why? Why does something that is um is often on my mind is like, why does every city have to be revitalized? Why does everything have to be new and updated and renovated constantly? And and specifically, in what things get turned into, I made a tweet about a year ago. <laughs> that was a joke but partially true (laughs) and i said in the year 2030 the entire state of north carolina is going to be one big shopping center with a cbd store a walmart and a chinese restaurant or no a food lion and a chinese restaurant repeating itself Because <laughs> that's like so, you know, you see the same things everywhere. And I think of the same thing with breweries. Like there's North Carolina has so many breweries, multiple breweries in one city. And I just question, is that necessary? I That's something that's constantly on my mind. Another way that I feel about that is... Like, at the same time, I know people like new things and people would like to not have to drive super far to enjoy things that they like to do. But similarly, I also think of, again, like class. So with new spaces being built, how does that impact pre-existing communities? Who gets to enjoy these places? And... And who do these places bring in and attract? And how does that impact pre-existing communities in that city? So those are, those are things that I think about.
0: So going back to the skate park. So when you said that, a couple of things ran into my mind. Because obviously there's a need in that area for some type of, I guess, skate park. So I would come in, um, we're in the developer, architect, whatever hat. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be a skate park. So then I would make it safe because I can imagine they just grab some random things, some plywood, <laughs> some, you know, very dangerous stuff that they could fall and hurt themselves that I would l- legit make it a safe, probably fenced off. It's gate park. It'll probably have some rules most definitely. And it it closes at eight o'clock at night or something like that. How would you feel about that? I see the point of it grew organically. Someone, Mm -hmm. a couple of kids felt that there should be something here and they decided what it was. And here I am the adult that's like, Hey, that looks dangerous. Let me get some funds together. Go to the board whatever zoning order, ordinance whatever who can give me the rights to this property and make it into a public park how do you yeah. feel about that
1: yeah that's so funny you bring that up because there actually was a new skate park that was built <laughs> <laughs> in in downtown fayetteville it's at a park actually like a, a larger park and then within that park is a skate park and it's being used a lot and and a lot of people that skateboard here like really happy about it and love it and use it a lot but i drive by that concrete slab <laughs> pretty often and sometimes it's still being used and i just i like the self-determination in that i understand that it is a safety hazard but Nobody ever really got hurt there that I know of so I no one know. died yeah <laughs> <laughs> no one died that's so you're good. That's definitely, like a southern line of thinking um, <laughs> but yeah so I mean i'm not I'm not opposed to that but do you, do you understand where I'm coming from of like there's something so great about like a community? Just repurposing the space.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's an area that I grew up, and the liquor store. It's a yeah. landmark and it's a dangerous intersection that black people like to walk as slowly as they can. Don't care if the lights says green or red or not. Yeah. You know, you always have that, and you just you just used to it. You just yeah. you, you just see it, and then the city comes and they put barriers or the liquor stores closed because either the city or the owners like i'm selling my property or the city's like there's yeah. too many liquor stores let's close yeah. these down let's limit the amount of liquor stores there was nothing wrong with what was there why change it and you know it 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 can go both ways. Here in 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 DC, they have these things called opportunity zones. I don't know if you heard of it. So opportunity zones is basically, to me anyway, another form of redlining, where they they take an area and they're like, hey, this certain area has opportunity, and so we're going to change all these existing zoning, air whatever and make incentives for developers to come in and make it, yeah, gentrified, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, but they took a different approach. So there's an area that hasn't been touched in terms of development for decades. There was a subway system that was going, the community was like, no, we don't want a station here, mainly because they didn't want poor people who takes transit to get mm-hmm. off there And so they didn't want any huge, like, apartment complexes, no multifamily. It pretty much stayed single family, single family zoning. So now they're like, okay, well, that's over. Like, we were going to throw in some uh, multifamily in there. And so it's a fight. It is a fight. Needless to say, this area is an affluent area. And it's just a bunch of white people who don't want any suspect people in that area so it's they're trying to keep it as pure as they possibly can but then you're like well that's not fair because here you go have the black area and that's totally changed it's not fair if if why can't the same thing happen to you so i see your point of an area that should not change as crazy and as dramatic it is but uh, I feel that it's changing because they deemed that area unwanted or un- like whatever or whatever. I don't know North Carolina, but what about the affluent areas there? How have they experienced any gentrification at all, or? That's an interesting
1: question. I feel like I feel like the affluent areas are created by gentrification Hmm. does that make sense so this like displacing and then building of new homes larger apartment complexes but well something similar happened in terms of like public transit in durham actually in the triangle area there's also a vote for kind of like a a rail system that just focuses on like Chapel Hill, Raleigh, Durham. Um, and I think the opposite, like the tr- like the actual tracks were going to go through a lot of predominantly black neighborhoods and displacing people for this public transportation. And I, it didn't go through. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems that the affluent areas are pretty protected and have a lot of say in what, what goes on in, in their areas and definitely, like I said, are kind of expanding through gentrification. I think, so for example, where I lived in in Durham and Easter, there's definitely a lot of people being displaced there and it's it's a six minute drive from downtown Durham. So everything is like moving East, like gentrification and all of the like revitalizing efforts are going towards East Durham because of its proximity to downtown. So there's that's what I mean of like this expansion that's happening. Mm -hmm. So eventually I I don't think many people can afford to live
0: in proximity to downtown Durham. Hmm you have a project where you want people to take photographs of areas. Do mm-hmm. you want to talk more about that? Yeah, so
1: that's in relation to the Curated Tolerance essay where I, I'm i really laying out what I think, in, in my opinion, are the aesthetics of gentrification. And um, like I said, as I feel, a lot of people across the country are facing similar issues and in places that they're from or places that they're currently living. I just wanted to create that Instagram account and allow people to submit photos of examples of gentrification that they see where they live. Just, you know, again, as a space to just have discussion, like an online community. Because again, I think we we often don't get past a mic to talk about these things. You know, it's like we're walking around downtown or something and we see something and we're just like oh my gosh I can't believe another this another brewery (laughs) that's what I say but um so you know just a place for people to have that type of online discussion and also see also as like a mapping project so people can be connected on this online community and kind of like compare and contrast and discuss like wow I'm Mm -hmm. seeing the same like tactics being used where i live. I've had some submissions from places like as far as like San Diego and then and some in Brooklyn uh, and in between. So that's been really great to experience. And I'm also I don't want it to be all like negative. So I also accept submissions of ways that people are resisting gentrification and I feel like that's happening in a myriad of ways. You know, there's a lot of like graffiti, just ways people are like visualizing their anger towards gentrification so i also wanted that to be used uh, or shown on the instagram account Mm -hmm. so people can just see like there's hope you know you're not alone other people are feeling this way and wanting to fight back against this in, in some capacity so that's another aspect of the instagram account as well
0: What about future projects? So what's the duration of it? Like, do you have an end date and is there going to be like a final summary or like?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I'm uh, still, still figuring that out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. I didn't really have much of a plan, like long-term with this project. I was just like, like I said, I don't just want to write something and then walk away. Yeah. Because I felt really passionate about this. So my goal was to, yeah, just create this online community and see if it works out and see how it works out. I am planning on making a zine, which that was the plan all along, actually. But because of COVID, it's, it's been delayed drastically because I don't have access to a printer anymore to print the zine. So I think I'm gonna host it digitally and I'm currently accepting submissions for any type of artwork or writing about gentrification. And yeah, just a uh, space for people to express their feelings and thoughts. Can so, you explain what a zine is? Yeah, it's like a short, I, <laughs> I wish I had like a better definition, but essentially just like a short magazine like a miniature magazine that a lot of people kind of just make can make about anything i don't know it's like a like a diy thing <laughs>
0: it's like a portfolio
1: yeah kind of kind of A flip i, I guess
0: yes yes <laughs> okay hmm okay. yeah so what it's my last question. Have you ever interacted with any architects or? No. Or what, what, or thought about like architects at all or?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't directly been in contact with architects about this topic. And, and I'm interested in that because I, especially with, after this conversation with you, I don't want to seem like I'm pointing a finger and saying this is the problem of architects because I don't believe that. I believe it's a, a larger issue of capital and local municipalities and city governments being in the pocket of developers. I don't know. I think there's like, it's such a, such a web. It is
0: a web. (laughs) You know, it's Mm -hmm. such a big web. It's a partnership. Yes. And it starts off as a partnership, public-private partnership. Yeah, the three peaks. It really does start off that way Mm -hmm. um, to get it going, so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have read this book called The Aesthetics of Equity. I forgot the author's name, but he's a Black architect, and that's given me a lot of insight on architecture and that i didn't have previously so i'm interested in learning more about architecture and also being in in conversation with architects more because yeah i don't like i said just to reiterate i don't think this is a single one-hand problem and i'm and i'm i'm also not any type of expert in architecture i was more so writing the essay as just an observer of my environment
0: and it's very important. Like your your essay touched upon a lot of things that it's a perspective that I feel that architects dismiss.
1: Mm.
0: Or we we hear you and we agree with you. So we're gonna still do what we do, but use some of your language in there to to justify it. Yeah. That's bad to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So thank you so much for like coming on and just talking to me and everything. I really appreciate it. Thank
1: you so much for having me on. I learned a lot from this
0: conversation and I really, oh, really? really- I learned a lot too. <laughs>
1: Yes, I truly appreciate you wanting, like, being interested in talking to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in a world where architects talk to other architects. And the only time we ever interact with other people is when we have to. So like in community meetings or like stuff that in order for us to get our projects through. That's the only time we talk to regular folks, even though we design for regular folks. So yeah. I'm, I'm trying to stay away from architects as much as I can in in my own journey, personal journey process, so. Can I
1: ask you a question? Sure. Really, do you think that, I don't know, is there any any shifts or movement working towards that in your field aside? I know that, I, I think it's great that you're doing that individually, but is there any
0: motive for,
1: for other architects to wanna do So
0: that? what I'm telling you, architects don't think that way <laughs> they okay. don't they they don't they're not thinking and saying this what I'm saying I'm an anomaly I'm like if I was to have a conversation with another architect they'll think I'm crazy for saying this and give me a whole bunch of justifications as to why I'm wrong mm-hmm. so yeah so it's it's really a new thing that I'm I'm doing because i'm stuck on buzzwords right now like affordability and making the community better and like you said what was wrong with the community before there may not be anything wrong with it and it's because we believe that we are saviors or our egos or what have you people don't admit they have egos people don't admit that they feel like they're saviors no one thinks that way but your actions for saying that so no we're doing this for the greater good yeah and it and you really have to step back and especially what's going on right now with this whole systemic racism movement mm-hmm. it it really it sheds light that you know architects in the past have been complacent and then there's a whole movie of uh, design justice about prisons and so forth so it's kind of this whole awakening that's happening. And my part of it is we're tearing down communities to build multifamily and you have to understand we are creating displacement. You're displacing black and brown folks and they don't come back most of the time to where they were Mm -hmm. and they're moving from place to place. And when you have communities and they sell their homes or they have to move out because rent taxes on your property are too high. Where do yeah. you go? And right. we're part of that, whether conscious or unconscious. So it's this new thing that I'm doing. and
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that work in your field. And thank you for wanting to have these conversations. Oh, well,
0: thank you for... <laughs> For, for what you're doing and having these conversations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I
1: I mean, I'm sure that's not an easy task of, of being an anomaly within your field and also simultaneously being Black. And <laughs> you know, being a Black
0: air. woman, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, being a Black woman and speaking out against, you know, the general consensus, <laughs> but so I, I really do sincerely appreciate your work and and thank you so much for thank, wanting to talk to me. Thank you. <laughs> Um Okay, so thank you again. Thank you. Have a great rest of your week.
0: You too. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Hey, listeners! I have an exciting announcement. I decided to launch a membership program for the show where you have a chance to support me and the show directly. I love creating this show, and it means the world to me that you all tune in to keep hearing me week after week, but it takes an immense amount of time and energy to produce. I want to keep the show going, and I want to invest in its growth, and I also want you to become a partner with me in this journey. That's why I'm excited to give you a chance to officially become a supporter of the show at glow.fm slash archespoly, A-R-C-H-I-S-P-O-L-L-Y, or by clicking the link in the show notes. It's quick and easy. It takes less than 30 seconds and just takes clicking a link in the show notes and using Apple or Google Pay. You don't have to create any new logins and you can contribute as much or as little as you like. If this show is part of your day or week, And you like what I'm doing, then visit glow.fm slash poly, all one word, and support me and the show in any way you can today.